0: year. All right. This morning, um, I'm going to minister uh, God's word, and I want just to ask that we pray to prepare our hearts. And uh, we're kind of this is an important launch of a new series on the book of Colossians. All right. So as we pray together, would you agree that the Lord will use me and prepare our hearts? I'm going to ask that Dan Ogden, Benny would pray for us this morning. Amen and amen. Uh, I knew that this service, because of everything we had planned, was going to run a little bit late. Uh, are you all okay with me going a full 30 minutes? Everybody okay? All in favor, say amen. amen. All opposed may leave. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, really. What a great opportunity it is to learn together and to walk out a, a study through a book of the Bible. Uh, I love these kinds of opportunities. And today we're beginning a seven-week series of messages uh, taken from a New Testament book, a love letter from Jesus that we call the book of Colossians. Now, for some of us, this is going to be like um, looking at something that we've read before and maybe we've forgotten certain things. For others of us, it may be the very first time that you've ever gone completely through a book of the Bible like this. And uh, I think it would be beneficial for all of us. Um, it's interesting, this, this particular book is relatively short. It's four chapters only in the book of Colossians. And so we can e- easily pack into our seven weeks of this a pretty good coverage of the book of Colossians. Uh, I would encourage you to, to uh, study along with us in your own personal devotional time. Take a look at the book of Colossians and refresh yourself on it. One thing that's important is to know that this epistle is probably the simplest and clearest emphasis on Jesus Christ. Therefore, I've used the title for the series, the book of Colossians, Jesus Christ is everything. Jesus Christ is everything. And you'll see that emphasis even beginning today as we provide some background an introduction to the book, and go through some verses in the first chapter, all right? So if you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Colossians chapter 1, or if you have your devices or whatever you're using to follow along, I would encourage you to do that, particularly as we're doing a book study where we're going verse by verse and chapter for chapter. It's a helpful way to learn, all right? Here we go. Let's talk about some introductory material first, and it's always good when you're doing a book study to start off and ask some basic questions like, who wrote it, when did they write it, why did they write it, and who were they writing it to. All right? So let's talk about that. First of all, the authorship of this particular book is the Apostle Paul. There is some debate about who wrote it, but there's there's far more agreement that it is Paul's writing, and it is clearly the Apostle Paul. I mean, all you have to do is read the first verse to find that, right? Paul, an apostle. So, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. So Paul is the author, and uh, it may be helpful to know that it was written in 60 AD. So we're talking clearly early church period. And so he writes to the church at Colossae a letter from a Roman prison a thousand miles away from Colossae. Can you imagine? A thousand miles away, and he's writing a letter. To make it even more intriguing, he is writing this letter to people he has never met. Can you imagine? to people he's never met. Now, that's not the case with most of the letters that we have in the New Testament of who Paul's writing to. In most cases, they're churches that he started or people that he's worked with or he's visited that city. In this case, he had never been to Colossae before at this juncture. And he hadn't worked with the church at all. You say, well, why the letter? Because he had a close friend who was likely with him at that Roman prison during this time of writing this letter. And the guy that was with him was named Epaphras. All right? Epaphras is deeply connected to the church at Colossae. He was an evangelist uh, slash apostle. He is the one that won people to Christ in the city. He pioneered the church and then became the pastor. So now he is visiting Paul. Why? Because he was a convert of Paul's ministry originally. So as a convert of Paul's ministry, they're now friends. He's Paul's spiritual son. He has now gone to comfort and minister to Paul in his chains. And so he is moved by the stories that have been told to him by Epaphras. He's saying, here's what's going on in the church. He said, you know, it's doing really good. A lot of people remaining devoted and faithful to the Lord. It's all good. But man, we've been having some problems lately. And so would you please uh, write a letter to, with your sense of spiritual authority? It would go a long ways towards our, helping our church. And so we find that the author is clear. It is written from Paul. He also actually includes Timothy, as we'll see. As he said, it's coming from me and Timothy. Uh, but clearly the connection there to the church is Epaphras. So now let's talk about the recipients of this particular letter. Who was it written to? Obviously, it's written to people that live in Colossae. They are a part of the church at Colossae. Uh, it is called the book of what? Colossians, right? So uh, it might be helpful for you to see. I couldn't get my pointer to work in the earlier service, so I'm not sure it will any. Anyway. This time either. Well, that's not. So I doubt that you're going to be able to really see clearly. But this is a picture of the Mediterranean Sea, of course, and surrounded uh, where you see Jerusalem. And then in the, in the region in between the Black Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, that is Asia Minor, or today it's called Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And uh, Carrie and I had the privilege of leading a team uh, through all of Turkey, visiting all the key cities of Asia Minor that were included in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. So I have some personal uh, awareness of this location. And it's very interesting because Colossae, there's nothing when you go to where Colossae was, because it is no longer. It was destroyed in the 12th century. All right, And so where Colossae was, there's a little sign. It looks like just a highway sign. It just, it's a sign sitting in front of an open field, and it just says Colossae. There's nothing there. You can't see anything, but it's where the ancient city of Colossae was. What's important to know is that the city of Colossae, uh, while it was the place where this church was started and remained for a while, uh, it was declining in its size, and it was overtaken by two other cities that were in the same area. It's called the region it's located in. It's called the Lycus River Valley. So, there was a river flowing through, and there were three cities that kind of made the the look of a triangle. So you had the city of Colossae, and then only ten miles away, you had the city of Laodicea. How many of you heard of that one? then next to that, you have the city of Hierapolis. so you got Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae, all in this you know very tight area of this river valley and uh enjoyed a relationship they knew each other and the churches were knowledgeable of one another and uh it's important because uh as Colossae declined Hierapolis and Laodicea thrived because this whole area was known for the wool industry and plenty of sheep all right so it became these were cities that were close to a trade route And uh, therefore, this letter, and there is some biblical evidence of this as well, this letter was what we call a circular letter, meaning that it was a letter sent primarily, as you'll see, it's written to the Colossians, but it was designed to be shared by these other two congregations. So it was circular in nature, and it was to be read to them. And so even though the primary recipients were the Colossians, we can't forget Hierapolis and Laodicea, and, uh, and how important that they were as well. Now, who was he writing to? What made up the city of Colossae? He's writing this to the church, but don't forget that in the city of Colossae, it is primarily a Gentile community. So it's primarily Gentile in ethnicity, uh, but, but also there were some Jews and a fairly significant growing uh, community of uh, Hebraic jews in that in that area as well so that's the uh that's the background information of the author and the recipients now let's uh i threw up a slide just to show you a little bit of some of the local ruins that's laodicea and some of the ruins there and it's a as you can see can you see kind of the valley below there that's that's the area where both hierapolis on the other side of the mountain and then uh, Colossae were located. And this is just an ancient map of the actual city of Colossae, uh, just to give you a feel. All right? So now let's talk about the purpose of the letter. One of the things, if you're ever doing a book study, you're studying through a book in the Bible, you want to ask yourself and, and discover, why was this written? What is the primary purpose? What is the occasion of the writing of this letter. And the book of Colossians has two very straightforward purposes. Paul wrote, these for two, wrote this letter for two reasons. Number one, he wanted to encourage the believers who were there. So he's written to strengthen and to encourage the Christians that are a part of the church at Colossae. How many of you know we always need encouragement? We always need strengthening. And can you imagine, I mean, I hate to kind of put it in these terms, but Paul was a rock star okay? I mean, mean, people knew about the Apostle Paul. Who do you think that the Colossians had heard about him from? Their pastor, Epaphras. Guaranteed. He had told them all about this guy named Paul, who used to be Saul, his dramatic conversion, how God was anointing him and using him, what he was accomplishing. Paul was a well-known guy. And so for Paul to write this letter, this is a big deal. All right, so he is writing this lair to what? To build them up, to encourage them, and to strengthen them in their faith. Second purpose was to confront and combat some error. There was some error that had slipped into this church. And it was of great concern to Epaphras, their pastor. And apparently he had shared with Paul on his trip to Rome, here's what's really going on. You need to be aware of uh, something that's not so good. And this error, this heresy is commonly referred to as the Colossian heresy, the Colossian heresy. Now, that's not very descriptive, and I'm going to spend more time next week and the following week getting into the meat of what was this weird thinking, this philosophy that was commonplace now in Colossians and, and to the church, to the church at Colossae, um, If I had to just give you a brief description, and if some of you grasp this from your other study, it'll make sense to you. Uh, How many of you ever heard of the word Gnostics or Gnosticism? How many of you familiar with that? All right. So this particular heresy was a mixture of Gnosticism, which was an old philosophy, an erroneous philosophy. We'll talk about it more in the future weeks. Gnosticism plus some old legalistic, Hebrew tradition, okay? So they took some old Hebrew tradition, legalistic, in a legalistic application, and <laughs> married it to some Gnostic philosophies, and they came up with this grand idea that was spreading like wildfire. And what's important to note is that this heresy, its, its primary aim was to undermine and undercut the supremacy of of Jesus Christ. The design was to take Jesus down a few notches in people's lives. So Paul is writing this to say, "Hey, hey, 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 hey! Wait a minute, wait a minute! Jesus Christ is everything. He is supreme. He is un. He is unparalleled. He is matchless. And he, in this letter, you will find as we as we get into it, he's constantly." Pushing and promoting the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The essence of this heresy, this error, was the depreciation of Jesus Christ. That error was aimed at depreciating Christ. So, that's why he focuses his attention as we go through the book. He's going to focus his attention on what? The preeminence of Jesus. The supremacy of Jesus. The all-sufficiency of Jesus of Jesus. And so I just decided to call this Jesus Christ is everything. Alright? Now, one more reason why we're studying this. It's because of what's going on in our world today. Today, there is great cultural confusion about who Jesus is. There's all kinds of mixed up views. And you hear it Yeah, you hear it tossed back and forth. I'm always seeing something uh, that that I just go, oh, man, what is this? It's time that we come back to Jesus Christ, his absolute superiority and his absolute preeminence. And uh, there's all these weird mixtures today of views and they sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus here, they sprinkle in a little bit of this here, they sprinkle a little bit of this in, and they end up with a concoction that I call pop theology. Okay? Pop theology is simply a view about God that is based on popular culture, not the truth of God's Word. You get a lot of it today. You say, where does that come from? Think about all the influences. Movies, TV shows, Music videos, uh, the internet, uh, social media, uh, blogs, other, you know, songs, books, philosophies, and it's just a sprinkling, and people concoct these beliefs based upon all, they don't even realize that these things are feeding into their new concept about who Jesus is. It's pop theology. And the reason I mention it is because the roots of that pop theology is rooted in the same issue that the Colossian Christians were struggling with. The lack of clarity about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to hear one thing over these next few weeks, you're going to hear me talk a lot about Jesus Christ. Sometimes, sometimes we need, you know, it's all great talking about Christian living. It's great talking about this and that. But at some point, we just need to come back to what it's all about, right? He is the main thing, all right? The primary thing, and we need to refocus on Him. All right, so uh, I like what one author wrote when they were describing the book of Colossians. They were saying, uh, by the way, it is the book where there is the most emphasis on on Jesus Christ, and the clearest presentation of Jesus Christ, really of all the epistles. Obviously, the Gospels are separate, but, but in terms of the epistles, it is by far the one that provides the greatest picture of Jesus Christ. One author wrote, when you read Colossians, you receive a, a full-length portrait of Jesus Christ. I like that. I like that. Okay, so here's a general outline of the entire book, all right? Now, you know, you can get all kinds of detailed outlines and different, you know, sophisticated technical terms being used, but I just want to boil it down for you, all right? So if you'll just keep this, I'm not going to remind you of this every week, but there are three clear sections of these four chapters that comprise. Three sections. The first is personal. It's only about four, uh, 14 verses total and the personal things that Paul's going to talk about. Then he shifts gears into a doctrinal section where he's teaching basic beliefs and doctrines as they need to be. He's trying to set that in order. Then the last two chapters are practical, and he's going to get down, as he always does, to where the rubber meets the road and how we live this out. All right, so that's going to be the major sections that you're going to find as we study through the book of Colossians. All right, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through the first 11 verses, and I won't get through all of everything I had uh, planned to share with you today in terms of our opening into this uh, beautiful book, but we'll, we'll get a good ways, and then we'll just put it on pause, and we'll pick it up again next Sunday. That's one of the benefits of this kind of study. All right, so I'm going to read the entire 11 verses to you. And you can read along with me if you like in your devices or in your scriptures. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and it is growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it "'and truly understood God's grace. "'You learned it,' what? "'The gospel. "'You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, "'who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, "'and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. "'For this reason, since the day we heard about you, "'we haven't stopped praying for you. "'We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will.'" through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. All right? So those are the beginning verses of Colossians chapter 1. Now, I want to just break it down for you, and I want to start by talking about Paul's greeting. Whenever you write a letter, uh, you're instructed usually, if it's nothing but formatting, uh, but it is common, it was more common in, in these letters of this ancient day, to write some kind of a salutation, some kind of a formal greeting, and Paul was real good about this, and this is particularly important because of who he's writing to. He's never met him. Right? So you're going to notice just a little bit of formality here. So he starts off by saying what? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, some people think that Paul was being haughty here. Some people think that he was bragging about the fact that he was promoting his title as an apostle. I totally disagree with that. I frankly think Paul is just introducing this quite formally. And it's, every book is a little bit different. All the letters he writes are a little bit different as he introduces himself. And in this case, he simply chose to call himself, I'm an apostle, but I'm an apostle by the will of God. He's just letting them know that this is what God has done in me and, and on the basis of this authority I'm writing to you. He, Paul would never apologize for his calling. I admire that, don't you? You know, there's, there's a difference between being ashamed of your calling and hiding it, and then there's also the other extreme of walking around bragging about what you've accomplished and who you are and all that. All right? So I think Paul very humbly is coming to them. He said, I'm simply an apostle by the will of God. Now, what was an apostle in the early church? In the New Testament, an apostle, an apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, which simply means one sent forth. Literally, that's what it means. But the role of an apostle in the early church is very clear. Apostles did this. Apostles started churches. They pioneered local churches. And then on top of that, they continued to nurture them and provide resourcing and oversight for the church as it went. An apostle is someone who had a message, but they are sent from a higher authority. They are dispatched and deployed to somewhere to do something for someone who has authority over them. Paul clearly has that authority from God, and he is being sent and dispatched to do what he's doing, and so much so, it put him in jail. So notice that he says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. Listen, you can't just choose to be an apostle. You can't self-appoint yourself as an apostle, nor can you do it to any other five-fold gift ministry. You can't self-appoint yourself. God is the only one that can do it. He's making very clear here. It's not of my doing. It's simply the fact that God did it. God worked this in me, so I'm doing what I'm doing by the will of God. Amen? Amen. Notice that he also goes on in the same first two verses to say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So he includes Timothy in that. Why? Because they did stuff as teams. Timothy was one of his spiritual sons. Possibly could have even been there at Rome when he wrote this letter. Then we notice that he's telling us who he's writing to. He's speaking now to the Colossians, and he describes them in three ways. Notice that he describes them as God's holy people, or some translations simply use the word to the saints in Colossae. The word saint there, uh, or in some translations, or in the NIV here, God's holy people, comes from the Greek word hagios, And it simply means the separated ones. Those that are, are there who have been separated by God, who, who are holy, set apart for God's purposes. I don't think it's describing their behavior. It's not designed to say, all y'all live in perfect holy lives. It's simply a designation. Saints. Saints versus sinners, if you will. All right. So we are saints because of our faith in Jesus Christ, right? Every one of you here who are born again Christians, you're a saint. Turn to your neighbor and say, Hi, saint. Just turn Hi, saint. Yeah. You don't always have to call your husband or wife saint. But anyway, it's, uh, it's important for we just recognize what saint means. All right. So he, first of all, he calls them God's holy people. And then he refers them to them as what? Faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. I think this is beautiful. First of all, he commends them for being faithful, that there was a a core of people in that church who hadn't been deceived. They were devoted and faithful to Jesus Christ and hadn't turned their backs. So he commends them for their faithfulness. And then he calls them brothers and sisters in Christ. Why is that important? Because he's acting like we should act. They were part of the spiritual family. Paul had never met them. But he knew if they're born again, they're saints. He knew, that's my brother. That's my sister. They're a part of the family of God. And he refers to them as, I'm your brother in Christ. In other words, I'm not your physical brother by blood, but I'm your brother. And this is my sister. How? Because you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, we're a part of the same family. And isn't it cool to know that whether you go to Chiang Mai or whether you go to Afghanistan or whether you go to Pretoria in South Africa or whether you go to Moscow, everywhere you go, there are people who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who put their trust in him. They know him as their Lord and Savior, and they are our brothers and sisters. You're a part of a big family. We're brothers and sisters in even a closer sense, because we're part of this church family. But you have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. So Paul describes them in that way. And then he, he kind of leaves this particular section by using two words. Listen to what he says. He said, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Have you ever wondered why he used both terms, grace and peace to you? It is important. Because grace was the most common Gentile greeting, it, or, or I should say, Greek greeting. And peace was the most common Jewish greeting. So two Jews came together and mean, it, it, you know, say, say hello to each other. They'd say what? Peace or shalom. But a Greek would say peace. I'm sorry, not peace, but, but grace. And so what Paul does is he's, it's like he's embracing everybody as one in Christ, right? We have in this church, we have, we have Greeks, we have Jews and others, and so he wants to make sure everybody was included in Christ. So he simply greets them as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and then he adds to that, and grace and peace to you from God our Father. Hallelujah. Now let's look at the next section very, very briefly. We'll just get started on it. But it's a section of thanksgiving. It goes from verse 3 through verse 8. So he goes from his formal greeting. Now he's going to enter into the section where he's just thankful. He's thankful about everything. What a wonderful example. He starts off by saying, we always give thanks. I'm thinking, here's a guy who doesn't even know them personally. And he's saying, I'm always giving thanks for you. That's pretty special. It demonstrates to us a person who has totally learned the habit, the Christian discipline of being thankful. You know, we, we fall in the habit of we're thankful one time a year. But in February, will you be thankful? Paul says we always are giving thanks He says, we always thank God the Father and our, our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people, the faith and the love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So he starts off by saying always, and then he acknowledges the God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are thankful to. And then he gives us a triad of thanksgiving. All right? So I'm just going to mention them to you and we'll close for today. It's what I simply call a triad of thanksgiving. And this is not a formula, but it is a genuine statement where each word is profoundly significant. What does he say? I'm thankful for your faith. I'm faithful, I'm thankful for your love, and I'm faithful for your hope. It's amazing repeatedly through the New Testament Paul uses those three virtues, and he combines them. Faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love. So what does he do? He commends them because he says, I've heard about your faith. I've heard about your love for one another. And I've heard about your hope in the future. And so he is offering thanksgiving for these things. Now, the first thing he does is he's thankful for the Colossians. Then he's going to go, and we'll start this next week, he's going to talk about the Colossians. Then he shifts gears and he says, I'm thankful for uh, the gospel. And then he says, I'm also thankful for Epaphras. So we'll cover those two next week and more. Would you stand to your feet with me? Thank you for your patience this morning and your attention. Would the prayer teams come forward at this time? I know that there are people in this room who have special needs. Needs for prayer in one way or the other. Maybe it's a physical healing you need. Maybe it's a breakthrough in some area of your life. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a relationship. Or maybe you just need to make a decision for Jesus Christ that will take you deeper. All of those are important. We have trained prayer ministers that are available for you here at the front of the auditorium and I'm going to invite you to come and take advantage of it uh, before you leave today. I'm going to pray right now for us uh, in keeping with the message and then Steve is just going to come. He's just going to bless you, declare a blessing over you and then you're dismissed. Heavenly Father, we are truly grateful and thankful for Jesus. Lord, we welcome a refresher course on getting all the things straight in terms of priority in our lives. We thank you. We're going to learn more about who you are and what you've done for us. And we're going to learn about how to apply it and walk it out. So we pray your blessings as we study through the book of Colossians. And this very day, Lord, I ask that you would meet us and intersect with us right here today. We thank we're thankful what you've done in this service today. In Jesus' name. Steve, if you'll come. Thank you, Pastor Bobby. I just love an opportunity to speak blessing over each and every one of you and your households. So, Father God, we do speak blessing over each person, Fill each one of them with your love and compassion. Holy Spirit, come into their houses. Be with them and encourage them. May the Lord bless you and keep you and bring you back to us safely. You're going peace. Please remember you can't come forward for prayer. Anything you need, they're here.